Good morning. My name is Andy Steen. I am also an elder here at Grace Church, and it's my uh, honor to open God's Word with you this morning. If you will please join me in turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you could keep it open this morning during the sermon, the text is going to be verses 13 through 16, but I'm going to be dancing around a little bit in 1 Peter, so if you have your Bible open, that will help. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about holiness, holiness, and uh, before we begin and before we read the text, Imagine um, the scene back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are there before sin has entered the world, and Satan comes into the garden as a snake, and he comes slithering in, and he speaks to Eve, and he says to her, don't you want to be like God? He says, if you eat the fruit of the tree that God told you not to eat of, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. And Eve falls for it, right? Imagine if instead Satan had come into the garden and said to Eve, do you want to be like God? Try living a holy life. Try holiness. Because that's how a snake would talk. I try to tell at least one dumb joke per sermon. Hopefully that's the last one. Um, But Eve quickly discovered that just having knowledge like God did not make her like God. In fact, having knowledge without holiness, she had it. She had holiness, but now she lost the holiness. She had knowledge like God, and she became less like God rather than more after losing holiness. You can imagine someone being tempted with God's knowledge or with his power. It would be tempting to have God's power or with his omnipresence or with his fame or glory, but nobody's tempted by having God's holiness. And yet of all of God's attributes or all of his characteristics, none is more characteristic of God than holiness. Holiness is who God is. Holiness is what makes God God. It's what sets him apart from every other being in existence, his holiness. So what is holiness? This morning we're going to look in more depth at this subject in 1 Peter. And this is how we're going to break it down. Holiness. What is it? How do you get it? And why do you need it? Okay, what is holiness? How do you get it? And why do you need it? So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. First, what is holiness? What is it? Holiness characterizes God more than any other quality. Holy is used as a prefix for God's name more than any other term in the Bible. Holy God. I am a holy God. Uh, Jerry Bridges, who wrote the book on holiness, uh, it's called The Pursuit of Holiness. He says, holiness is the perfection of all God's other attributes. His power is holy power. His mercy is holy mercy. His wisdom is holy wisdom. It is his holiness more than any other attribute that makes him worthy of our praise. So when we talk about God's holiness, we're sort of talking about two different things. First of all, moral purity. And second of all, separateness. So first of all, God is completely morally pure. When we say he's holy, there's no sin in God. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is free from any moral evil and he's the essence of purity. He's never tempted by sin. Remember the scene in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah has a vision of God's heavenly throne room. And when he sees God, Isaiah falls down and he says, I am ruined. Why does he feel that way? Why does he feel utterly ruined before the throne of God? It's because of God's holiness. And in contrast, Isaiah is a sinful man. And because of that clash, Isaiah feels like he is ruined because of his sin. So holiness is moral purity, but for God, it's also separateness. Uh, The original Hebrew word has a meaning of of separateness. God is separate from all the rest of his creation and from all other beings because of the degree that holiness permeates his character. He's completely holy, and he's separate from the rest of his creation. God is perfectly morally pure in all his character and also his thoughts and ways. We can have pretty good character, but we don't always follow it through in all our thoughts and actions. God's character perfectly corresponds with what he thinks and does. And this also means he must be completely separate from sin and sinners. Now this is a problem for us. A couple things about God's plan of redemption, as we have it revealed in Scripture, show us how important holiness is to God. First of all, that he would send his son to die on the cross to pay for sin shows us how important holiness is to God and how far he had to go to reconcile sinners to himself. It took the death of his son Jesus Holiness is not something God takes lightly. And secondly, that God is going to one day recreate the heavens and the earth. 
except without sin. God can't tolerate existence with sin. He's patient towards sinners, but that doesn't mean he's content to live with sin. His plan is a renewed heavens and earth without sin. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is patient. He wants sinners to come to repentance, but he does not want to live with sin in existence forever. He wants a renewed heavens and renewed earth without sin. So God's holiness is both his moral purity and his separateness from sin. That's what holiness is. Now, how do we get it? How do we become holy and how can we grow in holiness? Peter says, be holy in all your conduct. So holiness isn't just something reserved for God. We're commanded to be holy. Uh, In this text, there's four steps we are told to take if we want to be holy. First, we've got to be sanctified. Second, we've got to hope. Third, we have to conform. And third, we have to complete. So be sanctified, hope, Conform and complete. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So the first step is be sanctified. And to look at what that means, we have to see what the therefore is for. Verse 13 starts, therefore. So in other words, based on what Peter has just said in the beginning of chapter 1, this is what you have to do. He just doesn't start by telling you to be holy. He says, this is what's true of you as a Christian. Therefore, live a holy life. So we have to look back to see what's true. Verse 2, verse 1 says, this letter is written to the elect exiles. Verse 2, who according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Peter is writing here to believers who have already been sanctified, that word just means they've been made holy by the Holy Spirit so that they may be obedient to Jesus Christ. He also says in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So again, Peter is writing to believers. You've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and you've been born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then if you jump just past our text at verse 18, he says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So because of Jesus' sacrifice, whoever believes in him has already been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, has already been declared holy and righteous before God. So legally, God has declared us free from sin. But the problem is, as long as we're in this body, we know that we all still struggle with sin. We're all tempted, and sometimes we fall. Our sin nature still hangs on. But that's what the therefore is there for. This is written to Christians who have come to believe in Jesus, who have been declared holy and are now commanded to live a holy life. We aren't saved by holy living. We're saved by the holiness of Jesus. And even though we still struggle with sin, because of Jesus' victory over sin, we are now able to pursue holiness. Apart from Christ, it's impossible. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, don't try to live a holy life. It won't work apart from Christ. Faith in Jesus is the first step. So that's the first step is to be sanctified. The second step is to hope. Set your hope fully. Verse 13, again. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's sort of two steps that we take in preparation to setting our hope fully. We have to prepare our minds for action, and we have to be sober-minded. Now, prepare your mind for action. In the Greek, literally, this phrase is, gird up the loins of your mind. Thankfully, an expression we don't use anymore. Uh, of course, girding up your loins. In the ancient world, people wore long flowing robes, and they would gather them up and tie them together, almost making shorts out of them, so they would be ready to work or run or fight, girding up the loins. But here we're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind um, for action. Get ready for action. Prepare your mind for action. That implies there's going to be some action to follow. Holiness is not a program that God simply uploads into our hearts when we become believers. For the Christian, holiness requires action on our part. It requires work. We are responsible to carry out God's commands, but the Spirit is the one who gives us the motivation and the power to do it. And think about it. The New Testament is full of commands. Sometimes we think of the Old Testament as commands and the New Testament as grace, but that's not how it works. The New Testament is full of commands. I mean, think of some of them. Put to death the sinful nature. Flee from sexual immorality. Love one another. Those are all commands. And yes, we live by grace, 
But Peter even writes in 2 Peter 3.14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That's a command. How does it work? In Philippians 2.12, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out yourself. Do the work. Obey the commands. But then he goes on. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yes, we are called to obey the commands of the New Testament. We are called to live a holy life. But it's God who does the work. He provides the power. He even gives us the will, the desire to do it. But we've got to make the effort. So we've got to prepare our minds for action. And we've got to be sober-minded, sober-minded. In this context, I think it means um, don't be drunk on the desires of this life so that you forget about living a holy life. Don't be so absorbed with this world that you forget about the next world. Matthew Henry, a Puritan commentator, he writes this about being sober-minded. Be vigilant against all your spiritual dangers and enemies. You know personally what temptations are most likely, likely to ensnare you. Be vi- vigilant against those. And listen to this. Be temperate and modest in eating, drinking, apparel, recreation, business, and in the whole of your behavior. Be sober-minded also in opinion as well as in practice, and humble in your judgment of yourselves. Be temperate and modest. I think we go to the other extreme. We are more likely to be obsessed with our work, with our hobbies, with our opinions. I think for a Christian to be obsessed about anything other than Jesus Christ is dangerous. So we put our, prepared our minds for action, sober-minded, now we're ready to set our hope fully. Uh, We have lots of lesser hopes in this life, and that's okay. You know, I hope to have a relaxing vacation so I can recharge my batteries. I hope I don't get that teacher next year because she gives a lot of homework. Uh, I hope I can lose some weight so I can fit into these pants again. It's okay to have lesser hopes as long as we don't make them our ultimate hope, as long as we don't set our hope fully on them. Jesus Christ and the full revelation of God's grace that he will bring is the one thing worthy of all our hope. And this is a command. It's critical to set your hope on seeing Christ and being made holy like him if you want to make progress in holiness in this life. You have to set your hope on Christ. In verse 4, Peter says that believers have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
That's the only hope we can have that will never disappoint us once we get it, unlike all other hopes. Knowing that Jesus will fully transform us into perfectly holy beings like himself, that's a, that's a strong motivation for us to pursue holiness now. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, after talking about how believers will experience God's presence in the next life, Paul says, since we have these promises, so it's just like our, our passage, since we have the promise that Jesus will bring us this grace and we will see him and we will be made holy, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So since we will be made holy, let's strive for holiness now. So we've got to be sanctified. We've got to set our hope fully on Christ's return. Third, we have to conform. We have to conform. But actually, we have to not conform and conform. Verse 14 says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So the first step is not to conform to your former way of life, not to conform to your former habits, not to conform to the way of the world, but to conform to God's way, the way of holiness. This is a pattern you see throughout the New Testament. Believers are called a new creature, a new creation but our sin nature still clings to us. Ephesians 4, to 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This isn't just something we do once, we have to do it every day. We have to remind ourselves to do it constantly. To put off the old and put on the new. So we are told to do this. It's our work. It requires effort on our part. But the Holy Spirit provides the power. The responsibility is yours. The power is His. And finally, we need to complete. We need to make complete obedience, complete obedience our goal. Verse 15, Peter says, be holy in all your conduct. Very often, I think we want to stop sinning in a particular area because the consequences of that sin bother us. Right? We're caught gossiping about somebody by that person. We feel guilty, so we want to stop gossiping. Or our, uh, our spouse catches our eyes wandering and looking at another woman or man lustfully, so we feel bad and want to stop lusting, and so on. We're usually interested in giving up sin because of its consequences. But this approach won't get us very far. We can't just give up certain sins because they make us feel bad. We have to be resolved to give up all sin, 
Not because of the way it makes us feel, but because it's, a front, it's an affront to God's holiness. We ought to obey God because he loves us and sent his son to die for us and because he desires holiness, not just because we feel guilty about it. Uh, Jerry Bridges again says, we may feel that a particular habit isn't too bad, you know, just a little thin, but continually giving into that habit weakens our wills against the onslaughts of temptation from other directions. So be sanctified, hope fully in Christ's return, conform to holiness, and make complete obedience your goal. So we talked about what holiness is, why do we need, uh, how do you get it? Now why do we need it? Why do we need it? Three reasons. First, our personal walk with God is going to dry up if we don't value holiness. Now, you may have been declared holy when you put your faith in Christ, but if you don't pursue holiness and live a holy life and struggle against sin, your walk with God is going to dry up. Your communion with God is going to shrivel. As Hebrews 12:14 says, strive with peace for, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you want to experience God's presence in your life, you need to struggle to live a holy life. You need to struggle against sin. If your walk with the Spirit is stale, or maybe you don't even consider your life as a walk with the Spirit, Maybe you're not struggling to live a holy life. Maybe you're not making the effort. That doesn't mean we're trying to be holy in a legalistic way or trying to earn our salvation by holiness. But it's remembering that our salvation has been purchased by Christ's blood and that he wants us to be holy, that he's holy, and he calls us to be holy. It means reminding ourselves every day about what verse 2 says, that we've been made holy by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We've been made holy so that we will obey Jesus Christ. Holiness is not a problem for a Christian. Holiness is a promise. It's a privilege for a Christian. It's the potential of every Christian to live a holy life. So we need holiness so that our walk with God will be at its best. Second, we need holiness because God is in our midst. The passage that Peter quotes from in verse 16 says, verse 15 says, you, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, quote, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a quote from Leviticus. And it appears several places in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is all about holiness. It's all about holiness. And specifically the conditions that the nation of Israel have to maintain because God is dwelling among them. So you remember, God led the Israelites out of Egypt and they're in, in the wilderness 
and God has committed to dwelling among them. He's going to live with them, and literally, physically, the tabernacle where God would make his presence felt is right in the middle of the Israelite camp. God says, I want to be with you, but I am a holy God, so in order for me not to destroy you all, you have to live a holy life. So it's clear enough when God says, I am holy. But why does he care that the Israelites be holy? Because he wants to live with them. He is in their midst. So why does God also demand holiness today? You know, if you think about it, God could have said, I am holy, now go to hell. That's not the message. He says, I am holy, you be holy. Because he wants us to dwell with him. In order for that to happen, we need to be holy. We need to not only be declared holy, but to pursue holiness all of our lives. God is in our midst if we have experienced the salvation that comes from knowing Jesus. He no longer dwells in a physical tabernacle or temple. He dwells in the hearts of those who believe in Christ. Peter goes on to say in chapter 2, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are now the dwelling place of God. We better live a holy life. And what we experience now is only a down payment of what's to come. We are the temple of the living God, and yet we long for the day, as Revelation 21 says, when the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the living hope that drives us to pursue holiness now. So we need holiness for the best walk with God we can have now. We need holiness because he is dwelling with us, and someday he will dwell with us fully. And third and finally, we need holiness because holiness is who God is. Uh, Adam and Eve, like I said before, they quickly realized that having knowledge like God without holiness didn't make them like God. Uh, Imagine if you could pick from any of God's attributes, if you could pick one and have it for yourself, would you pick holiness? Would you pick omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere? Might be helpful when you're shuttling the kids around. Would you pick his power, his omnipotence, or his omniscience? Maybe his glory? Any of these things, or all of them together, might make you into a superhero, but it wouldn't make you God. It wouldn't make you like God. When God says, I want you to be like me, he says, I want you to be holy. He doesn't say, I want you to be powerful. In fact, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. He doesn't say, I want you to be omnipresent. In fact, he says, 
I will be with you wherever you go. He calls us to holiness. The most godlike thing we can be is holy. And that's what God calls us to. I mean, imagine if you had infinite power, infinite glory, if you could be everywhere. And if you gave up all these powers, but just held on to holiness. That's what Jesus did. That's exactly what he did. And he laid down his perfect life as a sacrifice so that you could be holy and so that you could dwell with him forever. Doesn't that give you hope for holiness? Let's pray.